The views and opinions expressed on this show are purely the views and opinions of the person who made them and do not necessarily reflect or agree with those of the show's commercial sponsors, its radio station affiliates, or Internet broadcast platforms. As the restriction on our God-given right to free speech manifests itself throughout the world, we are inspired by Jesus Christ's immortal words, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And we reserve the rights to all our words. Thank you, and now enjoy the show. To learn who rules over you, simply find out who you are not allowed to criticise. You are listening to ACH, I'm Andy, your host. And on today's instalment of Pastor Andy's traditional Christian message, originally broadcast on Sunday, January the 14th, 2024, at achshow.com, I will be presenting a message entitled Computers. Now, I want to make it clear at the start that this is something that I have put together, and not Dr. Peter Hammond. So if you're looking for... Peter's content then you're not going to get it on today's show so you may not want to proceed from here but where this comes from is for those of you been listening to the show when I was going out seven days a week I did do a series called I Ask You where I would list some questions I would give my answers and then invite you to write in with your answers that I would read out on the subsequent show I didn't foresee having to cancel the show midway through last year and go to a scaled down format that we have today. But that happened after I'd put a lot of these together. So I thought I would see if this fitted in the traditional Christian message because it's the only day I can really put it out. I have um, the Saturday show which has its own format and then of course the line is with Maleficus and the Dr Peter Hammond show that focus on both of them. So Let's see if this works. I hope it does. I'll try to introduce some um, elements for you to think about. I've got a lot to think about on this subject, and I hope that it's going to be a worthwhile use of your time. So first question, what was your first experience of something computer-related? Well, calculators. I was born in 1973. One of my parents, I can't remember which, had a calculator that had a green LED display. I don't know if any of you remember those. I had a friend at a job that I did about 20 years ago. And um, he worked in a company that bought in some of the first computers. And the display on the monitor was in red LED. And apparently that was very short-lived. It led to a lot of eye problems for people. You imagine like typing up with a bright red uh, LED on your screen. Um, So that might be something worth looking up if any of you are interested in uh, how long that lasted and the upshot, because it was just that brief comment I got from him. I'd never even heard of the red LED, although I did have a push button uh, digital watch where you press the button for the time to come up. And that came up in red LED. That was a Texas Instruments watch that my 
uh, natural father brought back from America in the 1970s. What introduced you to computers? Well, in the UK, we had a television program called Tomorrow's World, which uh, focused on inventions coming up in the future. Most of it was a bit boring, but occasionally you'd get things like that on it. And I'm going back to watching that as a child before we even had Channel 4 that I think came along in 83 or 84. So we only had three television channels. So, you know, when you put the television on, you were limited to three choices. So inevitably you went for the least worst option of the three. How old were you when you owned your first computer and what was it? Well, I was about 11 years old. It was an Acorn Electron, as my school used BBC B computers that cost £400 each back in 1984. And the Acorn Electron used the same computer language, which I think was BBC Basic, and was half the price at £200. And... You know, my parents bought it for me in the hope that I'd develop programs and all these sort of things. But like most of us whose parents had that intention, we tended to just end up playing games on it, didn't we? And uh, that leads us to the next question. What did you use your first computer for and what are your memories of it? Well, I've jumped forward um, a bit, but uh, you remember you used to play a noisy cassette recorder that had this horrible white noise sound to boot the games up on the computer. Um, there were some good games I'd like to get again. Um, some of them you can find on... When I had a... I've only ever had one PlayStation, a PlayStation 1. Um, and I've still got that, and I've got a few of the games, and I last played them a few years ago, but as you get older, your reflexes aren't quite as good. Um... And I've talked about that on the shows. So I've had opportunities recently where I could have sat down for an hour where it is in my room at my mother's house and messed about on it. But I've always got something to do over there that's a lot more practical, something to sort out, something to tidy up, something to clean out, things like that. And I haven't got the... I think I'd really have to be scratching around for something to do to, to do that again. <coughs> Excuse me. Do you use computers at work? And if so, how did they develop from the first one you used to the most recent one that you used? Well, of course, I'm kind of, this is a hobby now. Um, that's why I don't ask for donations anymore. But you have to use a computer to hear this because it's only available on the internet. And uh, I have to use a computer to record it. Um, the first one I remember using at work was in my first company. And it was... Uh, the St. Paul Insurance Company that I think became Travelers Insurance, which was an American company. And they had a computer system like an in-house one that had um, been, you know, built by a contractor to serve their purposes. So um, back then, uh, I, I don't know enough about it, but someone would come in and say you wanted something for some sort of, data processing or something like that you tell them what you wanted to do and they construct the program for you and they roll it out on all these different monitors that are long obsolete now that everything seems to be built on the microsoft platform but back then i, don't, I think you still had things like lotus notes and stuff like that you had all these competing um programs that people would use for 
what today we call Word and Excel and things like that. So it was more of a kind of wild west out there before the domination by the likes of Microsoft or the like of Microsoft. There's not a lot else there really now, is there? Um, when did you first start using the internet? Well, I didn't have it at work. What they They kind of caught on very early on at work that, you know, the internet had all these distractions on it, which is what their employees would be using. So only employees that would have it would uh, be senior people who would end up using it for the distractions as well, but they were allowed to get away with it because they'd say they needed it for other things as well. I think I bought my first computer as such when I was living in Dorset at some point, and that would have been the early 2000s. Um, and yeah, yeah, that was um, kind of when I was going on the internet with the old dial-up connection. I had AOL for a while. I had, what was it, FreeSurf, WannaDo, all these different things that we kind of, uh, you know, you were going online then and you were your search engines were things like uh, Lycos with the dog or Ask Jeeves was one of the ones I used the most. I don't know if Google had even come about by that time what is the biggest difference between the internet when you first started using it and the internet today well probably censorship to be honest um you it was it was amazing what you would find on the internet because of course any books that you Say, for example, there was a book, uh, I think, Trail of the Octopus about the Lockerbie bombing that was regarded as, you know, a very conspiratorial book and it was not given much of a printing. And I've seen a... I don't know if I've read about it on the internet. I found a couple of copies and read them and it didn't tell me as much as I kind of went on to learn elsewhere, but it was certainly very different from the mainstream version of the... Lockerbie disaster um, and that was the Pan Am Flight 103 blown up over Scotland just before Christmas very very nasty with a lot of um, mainly I believe American servicemen returning home for what would have been a nice holiday with their families so a very distressing event um, but you see when a book is published even you know, back then, a book publisher would have a lot of money and there were only a few of them. And of course, you might find a small printer, as I'd found a printer when I released The Synagogue of Satan. I had 500 copies printed myself and delivered at the top of my parents' drive on pallets and I was wheeling down the boxes in a wheelbarrow. Um, but I couldn't approach shops with them or anything like that. I wouldn't have known how to do it. You have to have a publisher, a distributor, and all these different things. A lot of them are all rolled into one these days, and even back then. So the great thing about the start of the internet is you could find so much up there. And when you typed into a search engine, you got accurate results for your search. Um, and even as time progressed from there, there was almost some sort of AI back then that if you got part of a search term wrong or it could understand if you didn't word it quite correctly, 
Um, these days, if you're looking for somebody, well, say myself even, consp who's regarded as uh, very conspiratorial and of the likes that the powers that should not be don't want you knowing about or hearing from, trying to look me up isn't like it was when you could just type my name in and my website would come up at the top. You know, these days, if your website does come up, it's generally preceded by a load of hit pieces about you because they want to put anyone off looking into you. Um, that wasn't the case in the earlier days. Um, do you use Windows or Apple computers and desk-based computers or laptops? Well, I started off using, not using laptops because I was of the opinion that laptop was just for someone who needed to take your computer with them to various places and they tended to be more expensive earlier on but then I discovered that the prices equated and even laptops in a lot of cases started becoming cheaper and of course with a laptop it still would invariably have the similar amount of memory and the same functionality and then you also had the advantage of being able to take it with you to places so I think I've been using laptops since about the mid-2000s. Uh, and before that point, I had a couple of uh, other computers. They're always second-hand. There was a computer shop in the town where I lived, and you know, I'd go down there and what have you, and that was where I would get, get things. And uh, with regard to Windows or Apple, I've always used Windows. I've never had an Apple computer. I even had a girlfriend once who wanted some help on her iPhone. And it was set up so differently to a phone that I had that I had no idea of how to use it. And the other thing is that Apple has always been so much more expensive than uh, Windows. And uh, same when it comes to uh, phones. You know, the Android phone is so much cheaper than the iPhone. Um, and I even saw an article, I think it was a headline, I didn't proceed beyond that, about would you date somebody who used Android? And it was directed at women. And apparently, you know, according to the headline of the article, women are more likely to use uh, Apple, iPhone, that type of thing. And there's a degree of snobbery from them towards Android users, even causing them to not want to date anyone that used anything other than an iPhone or Apple computers. But uh, I can't tell you what they're like because I've never used them, but uh, we all know the ups and downs of Windows. But generally, I've been able to get there with it. Otherwise, I wouldn't be able to do what I do today. Um, what's the worst computer you have ever had and what is the best? Well... I've been using Lenovo ThinkPads for many years now. Uh, again, all secondhand. I think no, I had one that was new and that got busted. Um, but uh, yeah, I tend to, to, to buy things secondhand and uh, I still run Windows 7. I never moved on to 10. Heard all these horror stories about it. Didn't want it. And uh, consequently, whenever I, well, I'll do it now, actually, if I open up Google Chrome browser, because I use Brave browser, immediately it comes up at the top. To get future Google Chrome updates, you'll need Windows 10 or later. This computer is using Windows 7. And that comes up every time I open the Google Chrome browser underneath my bookmarks uh, bar. 
close that now. Uh, what is the main thing you use your computer for? Well, I'm certainly not one of these ones with all these smart devices in my house or smart meters. Uh, I can see the surveillance of that. I don't want it. See the dangers of that. I wouldn't buy a car that was less than 20 years old because I heard stories of how even back then they could use the uh, computer technology in some of the vehicles to take over the car. Um, so forget about all these electric cars I'm going right back then and I hope the car that I do use at the moment my mum's car that's over 20 years old that that's not got that sort of stuff in it but there's definitely some computer stuff in there um, do, you do you trust your computer and if so why I put here do you not trust your computer and if so why well again uh, I remember the um, Bill Gates was at one of these was it Congressional Committee or Senate hearings in recent years where he was filmed with his computer and he even had a piece of tape over the camera so even he would not just rely on turning the camera off implying that he knew someone could still turn it on but you know there's no way that they can see through something taped across it in the same way there's no way that people can open my front door without waking me up if I've got a load of beer cans in front of it or cases of beer. But that's another story many of you are familiar with. Um, I don't go that far. I don't do video. That's kind of more of a... It's because I never really have. So why do it now type of thing. Um, and... I've always been a fan of audio. So this leads us on to something that hopefully will have some idea of a Christian message. We're told in the book of Revelation and all sorts of prophecies in the Bible that all these demons will, you know, be coming in the end times. And I believe that many of them could be manifest today through the, you know, huge vaccination programs that have been inflicted on babies and children from the 1980s onwards I think I just missed that fortunately but we do see some very strange behavior amongst some young people today almost as if there is something that uh, is controlling them and some very strange anomalies in some physical characteristics and you know I have my problems having been born with a uh, cleft lip and palate but I'm talking about people that would be regarded in no way deformed but might be you know I see so many women today younger women that are well over six foot tall and things like that and this was just something that you never saw when I was younger and it's quite frequent um, so I'm of the belief and also that there's all sorts of strange characteristics that in the past people might have a you know born with a, a a physical anomaly that you could you know would have a name for but you don't sort of say someone's too tall unless it's uh you know like that tallest man in the world out the guinness book of records going back years some of these people over seven foot and they've got some condition and things like that but these people aren't regarded as having any condition and i just wonder if we 
well, I'm certainly of the opinion that the vaccines aren't there to help help us. I believe they're there for far more malicious purposes. And um, that is the only thing that I can relate different to what we had when I was growing up. Um, so anyone who's inspired to essentially change the physiology of human beings can only be demonic as far as I'm concerned. So that brings in this uh, prophetic aspect about demons coming into the world in the end times and, uh, you know, could they have come in via that route? I can't say for definite, but I can say that there's the changes that I've outlined are there. And the even the way that this sounds, I'm like an old fuddy-duddy, you know, I'm 50 and I'm doing what I hated when I was younger, these older people bashing the youth and things like that. But I think listening to things like Dire Straits Loud and stuff like that isn't really quite as bad as what we see today where you've got a lot of people that don't believe in the right to free speech. You mustn't say this, you mustn't say that, you mustn't, all these different things. And literally clamouring for people to be locked away if they say things that they don't like. And that's, I, I, I grew up in that age with that saying that invariably came from the left, that I completely disagree with what you're saying, but I would fight to the death for your right to say it. Well, now these people are in control, they don't seem to be fighting for the death for us to say it. They seem to be fighting for our death or incarceration. Um, so it's funny, isn't it, how when the balance of power shifts, their, uh, their morals shift with it. And uh, that takes us on to AI. And will AI take over the world? Now, I've been thinking about this. And again, I go back to the prophetic aspects of the Bible about demons in the end times. And when people talk about aliens, UFOs, things like that, some people say, like um, Jim Rizzoli, who I listen to on the Hoaxbusters, that he believes in aliens, but not as, you know, extraterrestrials, but as demons. And he believes that these are demons that can manifest themselves, things like that. I firmly believe in um, these sort of things. And I think that that could also end up, if not already, taking over AI. I mean, AI itself could be de demons. They could just be saying it's AI, but it could be demons. And you say, well, these voices, they sound very pleasant to me, these sort of little female voices we hear out of AI and stuff like that. Well, if you go back to the Garden of Eden and the serpent whispering to Eve to, you know, eat of the tree that God told her specifically and Adam specifically not to eat, and he corrupted her with his smooth voice and... Um, that's how you are corrupted. If something comes across with some disembodied evil voice, you're more likely to run away from it. But that's why a demon would come in a soothing voice in, in a, to try and corrupt you. And I believe that that could be something that's uh, very well going on. And the demonic aspects of uh, these prophetic books could be actually not manifest as I would have thought years ago, with uh, possession of people, even perhaps from birth due to being helped in there by not just um, 
these huge vaccination programs. I mean, when I was younger, I think you had a vaccine for like uh, measles, something like that. And you had the little sugar lump, didn't you, for polio? Um, but now I understand they're getting 50 or 80 vaccinations in their first year, something like that. And of course, we've seen this huge rise in autism. And some people argue that autism could you know, involve some sort of possession, I'm not sure. Um, but it's certainly a change of the brain from something that's not... It's very... Uh, it's difficult to know how to say this because there's so many people out there that want to, oh, you've offended me, or I'm autistic and I'm not like that, or what have you. Um, okay, I'll relate a personal experience. I was visiting a friend who had an autistic son. And the father brought the son home. And the son asked her not to look at something. And she did when she thought he couldn't see her. And he was only about seven or eight, this kid. And he was screaming and shouting, I told you not to look at it. I told, And he just would not shut up. And she was like, OK, I'll give myself a smack then and all that. And he just kept on nodding. It was like he couldn't control himself. Um, and that's my limited experience of seeing someone with autism and it didn't seem, I couldn't understand that sort of reaction. And so for me, it's more likely that something was done to that child to cause that condition than it could be something that developed again, if you go back historically. And you look at like, um, you know, your grandparents, did they have dementia? Well, both my mother and my stepfather had dementia before they died and so many people now as they get older are dying with, uh, with dementia I think I probably will too even now um I just went to you know get something from the bedroom um and I came out with the wrong thing and have to go back and it happens frequently and I'll go in somewhere to right I'm just got to go and get that and I'll get into the room like five seconds later and forget what it was I was gonna, gonna go and get and um, the amount of names I forget on, you know, a radio show, even if we go back to last Saturday's episode 100 of I'm Talking to You, um, I couldn't think of the name of that conspiracy show with the lady on, Dr. Rima Labour, I can remember her now, and of course it was the Jesse Ventura Conspiracies radio show when she recounted how she was told years ago by a female head of state that she was treating who she wouldn't name telling her it's almost time for the great culling where they'll get rid of loads of humanity or use it who are using up their natural resources but back then i couldn't think of of the, either of their names the week before i couldn't think of the name of Stu peters and i think that there are things going on and it could be something being put out in the air it could be shedding because uh, I'm close to people like my girlfriend who've been fully vaccinated. Um, but definitely, I don't recall my parents having the sort of memory loss that I have now at their age, when they were 50. Um, and as I say, I can't recall historically dementia in my, uh, my grandparents who died at oh, 84 for my granddad and 91 for my... Uh, grandmother um, but it's all so prevalent today in the same way that autism wasn't around when I was a child I didn't know any ch children that were autistic I went to um, the 
school that I went from the age of seven to 13 and the school that I went from the age of 13 to 16. Then I went to college and university and um, certainly the two, obviously college and university, you only tend to know who's in your immediate course network or, uh, you know, if you're in halls of residence or campus, stuff like that, if you're living on site, you'll know other people who you share the block with or what have you. But I don't recall any um, having autism at all. Um, but now it's, it's a very common thing and I feel very sad for anyone that uh, does have it, having been born with a, a problem myself and also for the family members of anyone that does have it. And I think it would be um, very upsetting if we were to learn that this was deliberately imposed on them. But as I say, I can't offer you proof. The only proof I have is like dementia. It wasn't there in my parents' generation when they were younger, on, but even when I was younger, but it's so prevalent today. So something's happened, hasn't it? Let's be honest. Um, and so with regard to will AI take over the world? Well, could this be a part of the demonic possession, the demonic takeover? You look at people, I mean, the amount of times I'm waiting for someone to look up before they walk into me because they're just walking down the road, mesmerised, tapping away on the phone. I can't understand. If I have to suddenly do something like that, I stop. And I'll, well, I don't really ever do it anyway. But if I have done, um, w what I do do is I'm listening to shows all the time. So if I'm out with Amanda on a Tuesday and I'll walk her back to the bus stop and then I go home, I'll get my phone out and plug my headphones into it and start listening to stuff after, you know, I've left her at the bus stop. So I've always got something to listen to, but I don't fumble about walking along and not paying attention. I stop, make sure it's all playing and everything ready, get it all back in my pocket, and then I head off. But people don't do that anymore. Uh, what's even more frightening that I see is people in cars that are tapping away and what have you, and it's, it's more often than not, even when there are, you know, laws against it. And uh, I'm not a big fan of these laws. I think that the ones in the Bible are su are sufficient. But even in the Bible, we have laws where if you've got a, you know, a, a bull or something that was prone to attacking people, there's a certain penalty if it attacks the first person. Uh, and then if that does it again, then the penalty is far worse because it's like, well, you knew you'd experienced this before. And you've obviously not taken necessary precautions. And this is how you could take that sort of biblical law and apply it to people using smartphones in a dangerous manner. You know, if somebody's using a smartphone and they are uh, in their car and they drive into someone else or knock someone over and what have you, you can say, well, you, you, that was very careless. You put your interest in your phone above the welfare of other road users and uh, the, this is your penalty. Then you do it again. Well, you've chosen not to learn from your mistake and you still put yourself before the safety of others and the penalty is worsened. So that's something worth pondering. And for me, the only laws that we need are the laws of the Bible. And I don't trust man's laws because I don't trust man. I wouldn't trust myself to make laws because I have uh, ideas and sometimes I 
think more harshly than I do at other times. So sometimes, you know, you can be really cheesed off, really annoyed about a situation. Oh, I would do this and I would do that. And then next day you think, well, actually, maybe that's a little bit over the top. Do you see what I mean? And that's why I get so frustrated when you hear about people being uh, prosecuted for things that they've said on radio and things like that when there's no victim. But believe you me, they'll start rolling out any victims that they want to if they need to because they just need to approach somebody who they've got uh, in custody, say, for an assault on someone, and say, well, um, this is what you're facing, uh, but how would you fancy to have your sentence even uh, reduced to half of what we were going to give you? Or maybe, if you do a very good job for us, we'll give you a suspended sentence and you won't do any jail time whatsoever. Oh, well, all right, that, that sounds interesting. What do you have to do? Well, just say that you were inspired by listening to this person on the radio that we don't like, and then we can use that against them. And this is the sort of thing, when you see the, um, the situation now, whereby if a woman accuses somebody of rape, with no evidence whatsoever apart from their own account, which is something very similar to a certain historic event that we're told that we have to believe, even with so many people who've given accounts of it have since uh, retracted them and said that they're lying, we're still expected to believe every account. What a useful tool to come after anyone that you don't like, because you can just check their past, find someone they might have been in the relationship with, see if you can find if any way they've ever abused them or would you agree to just say that they did? Well, yeah, what what's in it for me type of thing, the person might say, because, you know, they probably don't care for you much these days at all. Um, so they don't even have to be vindictive with it. They can just agree to say something that was untrue in order to be given some financial reward. And when the courts are set up to basically say, well, if they say it, then that is to be believed. It's, you know, it's set in stone. You can go after anybody in the same way that if somebody um, is involved, I use this example a lot, but as Paul English says, radio is repetition. If you are arguing over a parking space at a supermarket or somewhere, and um, one of you is of a protected class, and this argument escalates into, you know, a physical altercation, but it's really still just an escalation of an argument over the parking space. The person of the protected class only has to say that they felt that this was always a result of the other party having a problem with their protected class status. And that other person will automatically be found guilty. And the belief of the person of the protected class cannot be questioned so when you start to realize why all these little things have been set up over time because you can use them to literally come after anyone that you don't like until in the end you just shut everyone up that you don't like and so many people today are just too scared of speaking out about things um and that's where we are so finally would you be happy to return to a world without computers? And if so, why? Well, I think the best way of looking at this is to go back to your... If if everyone... I hope some of these questions have been food for thought for you all today. Firstly, this is the last one I have on the list. But 
despite the, I had a, I don't know as to how much I enjoyed my childhood. There was a lot of pain there, just really more caused by my own anxieties and my own, what really was um, my own insecurities that if I'd have just had a more positive approach, they were really not relevant at all. And I'd have been far happier if I'd have just, I always saw myself as different and, uh, you know, kind of almost excluded myself from certain things. But I didn't have to. And I found that, you know, since um, the couple of occasions where I was too nervous, for example, to, you know, ask a girl out and years later we'd met up and they said, well, I gave you all the signs, to, but I was just too nervous of being turned down and things like that. And if I'd have just, you know, rather than, you know, what have you got to, if you don't ask, you're not going to know, are you? But too kind of wrapped up in myself that a rejection would be so bad rather than just thinking, well, you know, then at least you know and you could, you know, see if there's someone else that you like rather than just, you know, moping about. And, you know, we're given free will. And part of that free will is if we deny ourselves that free will due to just worrying about, oh, I might feel bad if someone turns me down or rejects me. You know, you have to, you have to grow up and say, look, you know, this is going to happen all through your life with certain things. You're not always going to get your own way, but you're definitely not going to get it if you never go for it. And... Um, but I had some great times as a child and I did, we didn't have computers back then and, uh, you know, um, things were so... If you tried to repair something, when, you know, I, I'm never very good at repairing things like that, but you could sort of find out for yourself, you know, people would show you where, say, a radiator was in your car and, you know, I'd know how to do this, that and the car, very basic stuff. But these days, even the mechanic doesn't know. You have to plug a computer in because everything's so computerised and that, you know, makes more and more money for these people that make the cars, that you have to have all their kind of software you have to pay for to diagnose problems and all these different things. And so invariably, you can't go to a cheap backstreet mechanic. You end up going to the dealer itself and paying several times what you normally would. Um, and I think it's the way that computers have been used. It's a bit like television. You could still get some reasonably good things when I was younger. Um, you could watch sort of expose documentaries that they wouldn't make today um it's a lot of it is about how technology is essentially taken over by the same group who believe they have the right to print money out of nothing and charge you interest on it uh it always seems to be hijacked by them if you look at something like youtube from the outset you can find anything on there provided it wasn't illegal, and illegal doesn't mean offending people, it means things like bestiality or child pornography, and that rightly so should be illegal. Um, you can find anything on there. You didn't have all this stupid adverts come up every time you click to open something. And I could tell early on, because I heard about it was running at, you know, at least a billion dollar loss a year, so this was clearly something that they were running as what was known back in the 70s as a loss leader. 
So you run something to get a monopoly. And once you've got the monopoly, you you can you know, you've got the you've got the market. So then there aren't any competitors and off you go and you start charging people things, putting adverts on, um censoring content you don't want on there, but can't go up elsewhere and people say, Well, there are these other platforms, yeah, but none with an audience like YouTube. And so as a result, you look back in the pandemic, the amount of uh videos I've heard where they've bleeped out the word COVID or vaccine on YouTube, and I rarely listen to anything on YouTube. But these people realise that any alternatives to YouTube are so um, much lower in the uh, sense of viewership, audience, that it's better to get a censored message out on YouTube than it is to get an uncensored message out on some of these other platforms that only have a fraction of the viewership that YouTube has. So one can argue that they did the job that they wanted. But if we had something like that that was operating censor-free as it was, you know, less than 10 years ago, how useful the internet was. And one could argue as well that if this censorship hadn't taken place, we could have a completely different world today. I mean, The Synagogue of Satan, my book, I think it had 119, 120 reviews, four and a half out of five when it got taken down by Amazon in 2017, I believe, after the World Jewish Congress wrote to them in 2013 to get it taken down. Uh, where would that be today? Uh, would it have had any effect if the censorship hadn't been there? Or would it just be another book on Amazon? Well, I don't know. We don't know because we can't look at an alternate reality where it was left up there but one has to ask the question that why did they choose to take it off after it had been on there for like 10 years since Tex Mars put it up there in March of 20, 2007 um, he was my first publisher and they took his book down as well at the same time I think his and mine were among the 100, 130 stuff like that most of them were so-called Holocaust denial books, but uh, Texas and mine and other people like Mike King's The Bad War got roped up in that. I heard him doing a story on that recently, funnily enough, um, on one of his 2017 shows after it had happened. I believe it was when he was guesting with Jeff Rents. But, yeah, so I think it's going to be difficult even for someone like myself to go back to um i mean how are you going to listen to one of these four-hour shows off vinyl or cassette or cd you know cd you've got your limit when you say well without computers does that include mp3 is that without computers well i don't think so i don't think you can go out and buy mp3 cds with tracks already on them you know it still seems to be you know big box sets and things like that so a lot of content that you get, it would affect all of us, I think, a world without computers. But as Dr. Lorraine Day said, they couldn't have their global control system in place without computers. This is why they need you in your electric car so they can control if it turns on or off in the same way they need you to have your smart meter so if you say things they don't like, they can turn your heating off to punish you. They need you to have uh, electronic currency 
so they can turn it off like they've been doing to dissidents in China if you say something that they don't like. But if you didn't have computers, it's very difficult to do. You can, you know, lock certain people up, but if you've got overwhelming opinion, then they have to suddenly bow to that public opinion or, you know, potentially have the public uprising against them, which they don't want. So this is a way of doing what they always plan to do, which is complete draconian, evil, tyrannical rule, and being able to shut up the most mild of their critics by uh, turning off facilities that they need for day-to-day -day life. So uh, to take that power away from them, I think would be nice but it would be far better to take it away from them by taking over the ownership of computers and using it for good um, in the same way turning the internet back so you can actually look up and find accurate historical accounts rather than what they want you to believe um, and essentially a censor free world that is what I would like so that being said, I hope that you got something out of today's traditional Christian message entitled Computers. I will be back with you all later day, today with the lineage with Melissa Scott. In the meantime, I hope you're having a wonderful time, wonderful day rather. Thank you for listening and bye for now.